Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Before I start, I just want to give a couple of quick updates to stuff going on. First of all, uh, I am finally moving. This Thursday and Friday, I'll be moving all my stuff into the new place. So while that will not affect the weekly podcast, the Patreon Q&A is either going to be a day early or a couple of days late. And I'm not sure if I'm going to be doing the Retro Roundtable podcast or what the deal is with that at all. But just uh, things will be a little crazy for one more week. Not this weekly podcast, though, just all the other stuff I'm working on which is a lot. I have a bunch of very cool videos that I am very excited to finish. I just got to get all this other stuff done first. So please excuse me if all the rest of the stuff is a little weird for the next few days. And also the World Cup is starting on Thursday. And if you don't give a shit about soccer, you could ignore the rest of this, but I love soccer and I always loved watching the World Cup. So I will be around Manhattan for this whole thing, of course, except for the first two opening days, which is really annoying but uh, if anybody is a soccer fan and in and around Manhattan please hit me up on Twitter or something because I do prefer watching these things in public there's just something about when I'm home during the day you know my computer's near me and I get sucked into a a game as soon as there's a boring part of the game I then just disappear into my computer blink an eye and the game's over so I always like to watch these in public without any other distractions. So please hit me up if you're going to be around New York for any of the World Cup stuff. Uh, And as I go uh, traveling in the next few weeks, I will let everybody know where I'm going to be in case there's, you know, cool bars or places to watch it. But anyway, enough of my rambling. Let's get started. Woozle just posted more progress for his Game Boy Advance HDMI adapter. It looks like he's gotten the refresh rate within a very small margin away from the original refresh rate of the Game Boy Advance. So that isn't something that would have ever bothered me, but I think he's really striving for perfection on this. And I believe he's still trying to dial in the exact refresh rate for speedrunners. That way you could actually get a speedrun on this and have it be officially the same uh, frequency and speed as the original. Because while most people would never notice you know, a couple of milliseconds faster or, or slower, when you're running a couple hour speedrun, you might actually see the results change just a hair. The funny thing is, though, I believe the crystal oscillator he's using is within a smaller margin of tolerance than the one that Nintendo used on their GBA. So let's just say if it's uh, uh, the number 100 crystal oscillator and it had a 5% tolerance, that means it could be as slow as 95 or as fast as 105. And keep in mind, I'm just using a round number. The number 100 doesn't mean anything. I'm just trying to make the math easier. But if he's using, say, a 1% tolerance then it would be with between 99 and 101. So that kind of brings up the argument of, will this new, you know, with the jumper setting for speedrunners on the GBA actually be more accurate than the original, and how will that affect any speedruns, if at all? So just a neat little technical thing to think about. You know, let, you know, let me know what your opinions are, but either way, the product is, uh, is maturing very nicely and hopefully will be available for public purchase very soon. 
Um, I'm staying in touch with Woozle and with Jason from GameTech who will be selling them and hopefully we'll be able to put out pre-orders and uh, get these in the hands of people because I'm very, very excited for people to be able to try these themselves. Um, the Game Boy interface is still an amazing option and I'll still be using that on my RGB monitor, but this GBA HDMI kit will be the first one that you could just buy, install, and go and not have to have a bunch more pieces of the puzzle. So, uh, very much looking forward to it. The company that just released that Dreamcast HDMI cable announced that they'll also be making Super Nintendo and TurboGrafx HDMI cables as well. Um, and I kind of got mixed feelings about this because it's always a good thing when you could have cheap, easy, consumer-friendly ways of getting old consoles on newer TVs. And even if the quality stinks, you know, it, it could be a good thing. There are ways to do it that, you know, maybe there's no lag or maybe the quality is not as good, but it's still better than just using composite. But just keep in mind that, you know, it's a cheap product. So the Xbox cable I had heard people had a lot of video glitches with. And of course, the Dreamcast cable I already talked about and uh, compatibility issues and some other things. But I mean, overall, it's a cheap product. So it does absolutely have its place in the market. But I just feel like for anybody going down this road, there are better ways to start out with a cheap product. Um, the one that's certainly coming to mind right now is I've finally started doing a lot of in-depth testing on the RetroTINK 2X, and it's incredible. Uh, it's, uh, I think, around $100, and composite S-video and component input. Um, so I played Super Nintendo on my TV with composite. It looked fine, you know, it was composite-y. But I also used the HD RetroVision cables, and it looked killer. So that's a really cool solution that is a lot more affordable than other things that we have out there now. Um, so this obviously would sit before that. You know, we have a sub $50 solution, just plug and go. And then uh, the RetroTINK 2X is going to be out um, pretty soon, I think. And that's more of a mid-range solution that I think people are really going to dig. I hope, uh, I hope I have that review out soon, actually. And then, of course, you have the OSSC and above. So just when, uh, when products like this come out and when you're testing them, keep in mind where this sits in the chain. But I'm still going to pick up the Super Nintendo one. I'm really curious to see how they're doing any of the line doubling and, of course, if it adds any lag. But uh, I'll keep everybody updated. And if you're looking for a really cheap solution for Xbox and Dreamcast, um, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. So maybe it's worth trying out for, I think it's only $40. HD Retrovision just posted an announcement that they're going to be temporarily closing their store on July 1st, just so they could kind of catch up with some of the R&D that they've been working on, um, which is a really good thing because they're working on a bunch of cool things that I would like to see released, but they don't have time to do that if they're selling, supporting, and working on the current things. So um, hopefully it'll only be closed for a short period of time, and when it comes back, it'll have new products. I wanted to give a very quick spoiler-free opinion on Castlevania Curse of the Moon. Um, I said spoiler-free, but this is the very first part of the first level playing. I have uh, Beast's footage here, and uh, so don't worry. I guess it's maybe a tiny bit of a spoiler, but it's the first part of the game. So uh, I just feel like since I've spent so much time talking about Castlevania in the past year, because it wasn't a series that I ever played, so this is all kind of new for me, it very much has the feel of the original 8-bits, um, which is, if you like that style game, it's amazing. Play it in normal mode. But if you're like me and the original 8-bit Castlevanias really aren't your thing, this does have a casual mode that, while still frustrating at times, is absolutely uh, something that anybody could enjoy, even if you're only slightly interested in this style of game. 
I still hate the way the jumping feels. It just feels so clunky and awkward and very old-school Nintendo-y. But, I mean, that was part of how those games played. Uh, so I just wanted to mention that for anybody who was back, going back and forth on it, because there's a lot of playthroughs out there, and a lot of people who were playing it were already experts at the game. So I, I feel like just having an opinion from somebody that didn't really love the 8-bit versions might be relevant to some people. Uh, but if you want to check out more footage, I have links to Beast's playthrough right here. Um, and I believe Carsey Carcinogen is just doing some kind of crazy no-damage playthrough or some of the insane stuff he usually does. So I'll leave links to both footage down there if you're interested in seeing how the game plays and um, two other people who I trust opinions on it. Greg Collins released the 3D design files for his Neo Geo CD drive repair stuff. Um, and these are basically the parts that would normally wear down or go bad that are very hard to find replacements for. And now you could just 3D print your own and rebuild your Neo Geo CD to work properly. So a huge thanks to Greg, and he also sent a few 3D printed goodies to give away as Patreon giveaways. So another massive thank you to Greg for that, and uh, some, of, uh, some of my Patreons will have opportunities to get some of these giveaways very soon, and uh, we'll all owe Greg a big high five for that one. So thanks, dude. I just started playing a new Super Metroid ROM hack that I thought was kind of neat, Super Metroid Ancient Chozo. And it's based off of Project Base, so it's pretty much like the original Super Metroid with a lot of graphical differences. I think the items have been changed up other than the first few. And uh, the look of it is pretty cool. It actually looks like the planet of the Chozos and not um, the planet Zebes or Zebes or whatever it is. But uh, I'm only, you know, right at the beginning of it, so I'm not sure how it's going to progress. I just figured I'd mention it, because I do love Super Metroid ROM hacks, and that's actually one of the reasons why I encourage everybody I know to get ROM carts, because even people I know that have every game ever made for every system, uh, you still need ROM carts, or, unless you're going to burn your own game cartridges for these ROM hacks. So um, anybody that's got a Super Nintendo ROM cart might want to fire this one up and give it a try, and maybe I'll do a live stream of it soon on one of the new devices I have that uh, I need to start testing. Hmm. There's a game called Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom being released later this summer that's a reimagining of Wonder Boy and Monster World, and it looks great. I mean, it looks exactly like I would want a modern 2D platformer to look, and I believe this is a different company than the team that did a Dragon's Trap remake last year, uh, so I'm not sure what the deal with that is, um, but it looks like a very cool game, and it's available for pre-order right now, uh, and it'll be for the Switch, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One this summer and then PC and Steam later this year. This next one's a little weird, so I'll just spit out the facts and keep my opinions to a minimum, which is hard for stuff like this. <laughs> but basically, last week I saw a post that somebody had found over 75 Japanese video games that were previously thought to have been lost, including some unreleased games. When I went back to check up on it, all I found was a post that said, I'm taking a break, I'm stepping away, and I'm not releasing any of the games. And the impression that I got is that it was an issue of collection and preservation. Uh, people who have these games, that were the released versions of the games, were worried that their collection would go down in value if a software version of it was available to the public. So um, I I'll leave most of my opinions out of this. I'll leave the links down below for anybody that wants to check on it themselves. But I do have a strong opinion that if it really is collection versus preservation, there's absolutely no discussion at all. I mean, nobody wants to buy something just to have it worthless a couple days later. But the bottom line is, 
that's also a very thinking in your own lifetime point of view. When in actuality, when you're talking about preservation, you're talking about many lifetimes after you. So worrying about your floppy disk, which is probably going to rot through in a hundred years, is useless. You need the software backup of that if you want that software to be preserved and last forever. So um, I'm going to leave it at that. I could talk for a while about it if this argument's the one that I think it is, but I'll just take a step back and uh, hopefully it's not what I think it is. But uh, I'll try to find the inside story and really see what's going on with this stuff and I'll let anybody know if there's any kind of progress or if people actually do release the games. A while back I mentioned the open source Atari 2600 ROM cart, the Uno cart, and it looks like somebody had made a bunch of those and made them available for the public and they're pretty cheap too. Um, you could get one in the US for about $50 which includes shipping. So while I absolutely loved the Harmony cart and I have no complaints about it whatsoever, I do really like to support open source projects like this. So if you were on the fence about getting an Atari 2600 ROM cart uh, and you wanted a cheaper version and support open source, maybe give this one a try. Uh, I don't have any experience with it, so I'm not sure how it works, but from the reviews, it seems like it's just a pretty straightforward, well-built ROM cart. So uh, anybody that's interested, the link's down below. Someone listed a few PC Engine developers kits on Yahoo Japan auction sites, and it looks pretty neat. I always kind of love taking a glimpse at the hardware the developers use to write the games and to tweak the actual console software itself. So anybody that's interested, the links are down below, and I think they're for about a thousand US dollars. RGB32E just posted a picture of a cool Atari Jaguar breakout board that he designed. It plugs into the AV output and breaks out composite, S-video, RGB, and stereo audio right on the board. I really love stuff like this, and while I would probably stick with RGB cables and a GSCART switch for my playing setup, I would really love stuff like this for any of the development environments I'm in. And even if it's just for things of hooking it directly up to a capture card or maybe hooking it up to odd switches, I really think stuff like this is helpful, and I've been hoping people would design these for a long time. I even think a cool scenario might be somebody that just picks up a cheap um, CRT TV and wants to play via composite or, RG, or, or composite or S video, but use the RGB output for capture. I think that's a great way to get a zero lag solution while still streaming your games. So hopefully somebody will design this for Super Nintendo, Genesis 2, and PlayStation as well, because I think something like this would be really helpful for people. Um, RGB32E didn't say if he's going to be open sourcing it or just selling the boards or both, but hopefully somebody else will jump in as well and start making these because I really think it fills a missing void, uh, at least for the dev side of the community, but maybe other people too with stranger setups that could really use something like this. SuperG just posted a progress update to his next version of the GSCART Switch Lite. I guess he'd run into an issue with the power circuit on the current revision that he's testing, and he just figured out the fix for that, so now he's able to keep moving forward and uh, testing the actual sync on green features and everything else that's going into the next version. So hopefully he'll have new prototypes in soon, and if those are working up to his standards, it might be just a few months before we're able to order the latest version of the GSCART Lite, which includes support for sync on green, as well as the sync regeneration that's been available in the other GSCART Lite for quite a while now. I saw an interview that was posted with somebody who worked for the original Atari company as well as Atari Corp in the 90s, and it was pretty cool to get his opinion on what it was like to work there and the different things that he saw. So if anybody's in for a short but pretty cool interview, definitely check this one out. 
The person working on the OSSC Wolf Edition has posted on Shmups, and it's a pretty long detailed post with a lot of different info in it. So just to very quickly skip through it, um, he's been very busy lately, and he has a, his first child coming soon, so he's not going to have much time to work on anything, but he's released the designs to a lot of the things that he's already made, the main board, the daughter board that plugs into it, and a lot of the other stuff that he'd been working on, and he was hoping that other people could jump in and help, and maybe help finish the project. So there's a ton of detail in the posts, and uh, it seems really awesome. I mean, it, it just seems like something that not everybody would use. The OSSC is pretty great by itself, but I would certainly like one of these, and I'd certainly appreciate all the extra options that he put in. So uh, if anybody is interested and thinks even they could help a little bit, maybe check out the post and see if it's something that you'd be able to contribute to. SNK announced that the Neo Geo Mini will be available later this summer in Japan, and then shortly afterwards in the rest of the world. It looks pretty cool, I definitely have to say that. Um, it, it's a mini arcade machine, so you could play directly on it, or it has HDMI output and a standard Neo Geo controller port, so you could use your game sticks or your game pads, and I believe that they're even going to be releasing a new game pad that'll work with it. So it seems pretty cool. There's no pricing yet, though. So if this is like a $300 item, I certainly wouldn't pick it up. Hopefully it's cheap enough so that it's affordable and could be a fun little toy. Uh, the only strange thing is there's a, apparently a different set of games being released on the Japanese version versus on the global version. But if it's anything like the other uh, Neo Geo product that was released, it'll probably be hacked about two seconds after it's released. So I'm not really sure if that's going to be an issue. But this... For some reason, I'm excited about this, whereas I'm not really excited about any of the other emulation consoles. And I think maybe it's because you could just sit it on a desk and have a fun little experience on it, as well as output it to a TV. So I guess we'll see when it's released. Citrus 3000 PSI has just opened up his web store. He has a few GC Duels available, which is the both RGB and HDMI internal GameCube kit. Uh, and he's also offering a promotion now. Anybody that retweets and follows him on Twitter has a chance to win his Wii with the Wii Duel installed. That's the one that allows for RGB, HDMI, and optical audio output of a Wii, which is something that I'm very excited about. So if you're interested in any of that stuff, check out his store for GC Duels and retweet and follow for a chance to win the Wii Duel. Someone may have stumbled across one of the Nintendo consoles used in the Nintendo World Champions. It's pretty neat. It has what looks like a serial port on the back, the kind that are kind of the same shape as a phone port. Um, and the install looks official, and the board that's added to it even has Nintendo of America written on it. So it's, uh, it's pretty neat. Um, it looks real, and it seems to be a pretty cool piece of history that's been found. So anybody interested, take a look at the link in the description for all the pictures. I wanted to follow up on the discussion I started last week regarding the Datapath Vision E1S capture card. First, I want to talk about OBS compatibility, and then I want to talk about that half-height bracket that most of these things come with. Um, but first, the software problem I was having was a half, one, uh, half my fault and then half a weird issue. First and foremost, for it to work with OBS, you need to install it in kernel mode, not user mode streaming. So if you are having issues with OBS, you have to uninstall, reboot the computer, reinstall, and select kernel mode. Thanks to Firebrand X for reminding me about that one. Also, the other issue I was having was that the driver had somehow gotten funky, and it wouldn't even let me reinstall the software. So I had to actually manually update the driver, 
and then it worked fine. So if anybody runs into any issues, uh, download the latest version of the driver, which is an exe file. When you run that file, it extracts everything to a folder and then uh, cancel whatever happens after that and then just take that one folder and go from there. First, you're going to want to open the device manager, uh, click on the datapath card and manually update the driver using those subfolders. So for me, when I, uh, when I extracted the EXE, uh, it had a Windows 10 subfolder. I pointed it to that, the card updated, and everything was fine. Then I installed the software using install EXE in the main folder, and then rebooted, and everything was perfect. So if you have any issues, update the driver first, then install the software. But that was pretty much it. Now everything's up and running in OBS. I've been using it to record this entire episode, so hopefully everything's in sync and looking good. But the second problem um, a lot of people, including myself, have with this card is that most come with a half-height bracket. And it really needs, in most scenarios, a full-height bracket to fit into the computer you're using. So the uh, main seller on eBay that sells these doesn't really have many of the full-size brackets, so they're pretty expensive. Um, and Datapath isn't selling them anymore. I guess they were for a while. So there's really no great solution. You could try to find another video card bracket that has a DVI hole that sort of fits. And that worked for me on my last case. Um, the, the part where you put the screw in kind of stuck up a little bit too high off of where the, the plate usually goes down on top of. But I just added a spacer and left it there and everything was fine. But the new smaller case I have, everything has to be flush. That won't work. So that's really not an option for me or most people that has, the, um, has a case that you have to have flush brackets. So I'm wondering if anybody out there works for a metal shop that would be able to make a large run of these things for us. Well, large for the retro gaming community, small to what a metal shop would probably be used to. Um, I know a metal shop in Jersey that uh, I think I would be close enough with them that they would do it for me, but then I would just have to get them the correct designs. So if anybody out there um, either has the ability to stamp these out or to create a 3D model that I could send to a metal shop so we could stamp out maybe a hundred of these um, and get them available to people for very cheap, you know, just a little bit over cost plus shipping, just so everybody that has the half-height cards now actually has an option um, to put them full height into a normal-sized PC case. So let me know if you work for a metal shop or if you'd be able to do a design that I could send to a metal shop to have a bunch of these stamped. Well, that's it for this week. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. I have so much to share with everybody soon enough. I just got to get this stupid move finished first. So stay tuned for some very cool things to be released in the near future. Uh, but until then, thank you so much for your support. Thank you to all the Patreons for keeping this channel going, and I'll see you next week. HD Retrovision just posted a wham wham boohoo notice about how they have to close their store to do other stuff, but let's be honest, it doesn't matter because they don't have any cables in stock anyway.